So good morning in LATAM and good afternoon in Europe. And you know, first of all, thank you all for, for joining us in this CMS Disputes talk number one on how to plan ahead to be better positioned, if you wish, when facing cross-border insolvency litigation. Our goal is to finish this webinar in 60 minutes. We'll see if we, if we make it. And uh, we look forward to answering uh, questions at the end of the webinar or uh, in writing after the webinar when, when, when that's appropriate. And uh, with that said, a special thanks to CMS support team for making sure that everything works perfectly. Uh, and to my dear co-panelists, uh, Charlotte Schlitt, partner at CMS Germany, Charlotte, I will never be able to pronounce your last name correctly, so I do apologize. Uh, Michelle Barkley, uh, my partner at CMS Peru, and Nacho Fernandez Aguado, uh, my partner at CMS Spain. Uh, now, uh, I would like everyone in, in the audience to, to imagine, uh, you know, try to, to work with me that there is a company based in a, a LATAM, a country or in Europe, and that's the seller. And that seller wants to sell and export products or services to a company located in the other continent. So the, the seller is in, in one of the continents and the buyer is in the other continent. And further imagine with me that uh, the price for such goods or services is to be paid in installments after the goods have been delivered or the services have been rendered to the buyer. So all in all, imagine that the seller grants the buyer a supplier credit. Uh, so at the end, we have a, a seller who's a, a creditor uh, in one continent, and we have a buyer who's a debtor in the other continent. With that, uh, Nacho, uh, let me start uh, with you. If, if the seller has uh, the chance to, to plan ahead and, uh, you know, CMS were uh, uh, to advise the seller, uh, who, by the way, again, is a creditor, what measures uh, would you recommend it should take to be in the best possible position to collect its money in case the buyer enters a bankruptcy process? And by the way, for all of you in the audience, uh, I would say that most of of our thoughts uh, and you know this this discussion among friends uh, it's going to be a, a, a addressed to that specific question but it will serve the double purpose uh, of also helping understanding uh, how to plan ahead in any collection process so natural the floor is yours thank you so much many thanks uh, daniel and uh, welcome to all the audience Regarding uh, your question, and uh, I'm, I'm going to refer, considering that in this uh, particular case, the buyer would be uh, located in, in Europe, okay? Uh, taking this into account, uh, if I would be able to plan this for the client, the first thing I would recommend would be to uh, uh, determine which uh, uh, will be the applicable law for the insolvency of the buyer, uh, just in case it could happen in the in the future. Why? Because I mean, uh, uh, talking about Europe, uh, we have uh, oh, oh, we can take into account that we have the uh, U.S. regulation on one hand, and we have another European countries without this uh, European regulation uh, regarding insolvency. But in most of the cases, what happened is that the Lex Concursus, the Lex that will be applicable to, to this future insolvency, will have uh, effects, uh, essential effects over the pending contractual relationship between both parties, both companies. So the first thing in order to plan uh, this strategy would be to determine which, eventually, which uh, insolvency law will be applicable in Europe in order to uh, to know what will be the effects that this insolvency law will have over this relation 
in the case that the buyer finally um, enters into uh, insolvency. Once we have uh, a clear idea about what will be this uh, applicable law, then uh, I will pay attention to the contractual documents. Why? Because uh, normally happens, and, and I refer to a case just a few weeks ago, a Polish uh, company uh, had a, a case like that with a Spanish company that entered into insolvency. When I asked the client for the contractual documents to see how was the supply and how is all the terms of the contractual relationship, we found that they have just a simple document, a kind of general condition or contractual general condition, something like that, in which they state that the relationship was submitted to the uh, German law and the jurisdiction was the uh, tribunals of uh, Munich. Nothing to do with the Polish company, nothing to do with the a supply document, nothing to do with the Spanish company. So it is important to uh, pay special attention to this contractual uh, document and especially uh, it should be, uh, it would be uh, advisable to pay attention to the following issues. The first one, the, uh, the, the mention about the transmission of the property in the case of the supplier or the transmission of the liability when you uh, when and where this uh, liability of this supply of materials or in the case of services where they will be uh, rendered. Secondly, uh, the, the, the regulation in the contract about the security or the guarantee for the payment. It is important that uh, this, uh, this kind of guarantee has to be uh, granted accordingly with the formalities of the country in which this guarantee is expected to be executed because if not we find also uh, so many cases in which we have the client has a security but has been granted in another country and has not been registered or has not uh, fulfilled the formalities of the country in which you expect to be uh, executed. Third uh, issue, a relevant issue, is uh, the regulation in the contract about the termination of the contract. Because sometimes uh, we found, a, in, in many cases, we find that the contract uh, has the clause regarding the insolvency of one of the parties as a, a matter of termination of the contract. And it happens that in no few jurisdictions, like in Spain, for, for instance, these kind of clauses are null and void uh, by law and uh, you cannot terminate the contract in these cases. So you have to uh, be aware of it and uh, to state other uh, kind of clauses in, in the contract about the termination. And finally, uh, the, 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 there are two more other important issues to take into account in these uh, contractual documents. One regarding the jurisdiction and the other one regarding the law applicable to the uh, contractual relationship. Because uh, sometimes, even though the buyer goes to insolvency, he, you may have the chance to act uh, against the, 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 the other party, in this case against the buyer, in the insolvency or uh, as a collateral proceedings out of the insolvency. So it is important to take care about that and uh, to settle that the law applicable is the same law uh, that the jurisdiction uh, will apply because if not, you can find that uh, you may have submission to a specific court in one country and the law applicable is from another country. So this makes uh, things so much uh, difficult. I know, also, because uh, in the case of the uh, jurisdiction, uh, we find uh, a lot of clauses that they don't, uh, they, they, they are not clear about the submission to court or submission to arbitration, or uh, in the United States, we find also clauses, the non-exclusive jurisdiction. So these kind of clauses may uh, provoke um, a, a, in the future uh, problems when you uh, want to act or to react in the case of the, of the insolvency. Um, finally, the, 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 the third point that I would uh, pay special attention is regarding the execution of the guarantee. In this case, uh, 
uh, it is advisable, generally speaking, to try to terminate the contract uh, before the declaration of insolvency has been rendered by the court, because if not, you may have problems in this execution uh, regarding uh, or depending the Lex concursus that is applicable to this specific case. And uh, secondly, uh, and this is connected with my first uh, consideration, is that uh, this kind of guarantees uh, has to be uh, done uh, paying uh, special attention to the uh, insolvency law when they specify a period of time that can be uh, suspicious of fraud or uh, there can be uh, so, uh, fulfill an action for like a clawback action or something like that in order to try to declare the um, the nullity of the, this kind of clauses so guarantees so it is important to pay special attention also to this before you enter into a supplier contract that's all well, from my side uh, daniel well Nacho, thank you so much for you know great thoughts and 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 I guess you know so far in in just ten minutes I I I, I think we we have a, a learned lots of of very interesting things and and perhaps you know a, I I was a, hoping to add a couple of comments in that regard so first of all you know I agree with you that the the seller should properly document uh, both the transaction and the supplier credit uh, uh, granted to the buyer. Sometimes I feel that that sellers uh, who export, you know, goods and services to, to other countries forget that whenever they have a, a supplier credit, that's that's a loan, that's a credit, and they just forget about it and, and focus sometimes on the export documents and you end up requesting, as you said, the and it's just an export document and that's it and perhaps they have some inco terms or whatever and it does doesn't really help and in in my experience the the best way to to document a supply credit is by requesting a promissory note issued by the buyer or any other document that works best as a as a collection document in the buyer's or the debtor's country and i have seen it you know companies uh, from europe that are you know usually export to to brazil and then it's some, you know, they come to us and say, you know, listen, I have, you know, one of the buyers, a, a debtor who hasn't paid us, you know, $10 million. And, and we, we have been trying to, to reach out to them. And then uh, they have a, a collection document that usually works in Brazil, but does not work in, in, in Colombia or in Peru. And, and, and you end up in a, in, a, in a litigation just to build up a collection document. So, uh, uh, and the... If, if, if you cannot get, you know, due to the commercial, you know, uh, constraints, you cannot get a, 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 an actual promissory note or, you know, whatever collection document works locally, uh, uh, you know, at the very least, you should include a specific contract provision that would grant the seller a collection document before local courts. That's, that's essential. Uh, uh, you know, also, uh, uh, you talked about the, the security and the, uh, Typically, that security is pretty easy uh, uh, in many countries to actually uh, uh, be uh, uh, against the, the the goods that are actually exported. But you know, for instance, where there are services or for whatever reason, uh, those goods that are being exported uh, uh, cannot be part of the security. You can always go to any other good, uh, but that's going to be essential for purposes of, of a, a future insolvency process, not only because you have the security to collect on the goods, but we, which actually, typically speaking, you can't whenever the debtor starts on, uh, an insolvency process, you have to wait until the insolvency courts uh, allows you to do so, but also, but, but mainly because it gives you, you know, a, a, a better rank in the process. And when you plan ahead, it is always essential to have in mind as a first priority how to be so that you can be in a better position, better ranked whenever the debtor and securities, typically speaking, give you a better ranking uh, or better rank uh, in any future insolvency process. Perhaps in, in third, in, in, in some countries, you know, such as Colombia, for instance, 
the, the seller should retain the services of a law firm or a service provider. And this is, this, you know, many times this actually sounds weird to our clients from abroad. And the, the purposes of, of retaining the service of a law firm or, or a service provider whenever there is a, 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 a supplier's a, a credit is to, to monitor a, the insolvency court or the insolvency courts so that, you know, the seller a, a, who's the creditor timely knows if and when the buyer enters an insolvency process. And, you know, the, the, the rationale behind this measure a, a, that is a, a unique to some to some countries is that upon commencement of the insolvency process, the insolvency process court appointed trustee must issue a list of credits and creditors which is published. A, and you know the creditors have a short period to object or oppose to that list and credits. And therefore, you know, if for any reason, a, and it, it, you know has happened to us, many times, not a couple of times, but many times, you know, the list does not include the seller's credit, just it doesn't include it, or it includes an amount that is substantially lower than the what is actually owed. Then, you know, regarding the excluded credit or value, the, the creditor, so the exporter, will be ranked last in line of creditors and uh, will only be able to collect after the rest of the creditors have been paid. Uh, uh, and, you know, clients just come to us, uh, which is, you know, outrageous, you know, they owe me the money and, they, and, and yes, you know, the, the, the system work that is published and you have to be looking at the system with, to see whether the debtor enters into any service process. If you don't come to the process, we assume that you do not object and that's what they owe you. If they owe you whatever, uh, you know, it is not registered there, you come last. Needless to say that, that whether or not this measure is adopted will typically depend on many variables, including, you know, the value of the supplier credit, you know, uh, so, and that depends on each, on each seller, what's material for them. Also, whether the buyer is in areas, you know, sometimes I see clients that say, you know, they owe me a couple of million euros and, you know, I, 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 I sent more, more merchandise or more goods because they're in travel. And then in a couple of, of, of months, they moved from 2 million euros to 10 and they, 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 they didn't do anything. And, you know, of course, always, and this is obvious, but the risk uh, appetite of the seller. Uh, with that said, uh, 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 thank you so much, Nacho. And, you know, now let us move to question number two of this panel. Uh, and uh, let me uh, start with, with you, Nacho, again. And uh, uh, let's say, you know, if the seller has the chance to plan ahead and you know cms were advising the seller who uh, by the way in 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 this question is is the creditor is the one who needs help to collect what measures uh, would you recommend it should take uh, to be in the best possible position to collect its money in case the buyer enters a bankruptcy process okay thank you again daniel well just to make it uh, shorter because part of this I have uh, uh, provided in advance in, in the answer of the of the first question. I, I would add, uh, well, first of all, uh, according to what uh, you have said, um, I mean, the, the, the provision in the contract of, uh, of uh, 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 a statement uh, granted the, the seller a collection uh, uh, document. Uh, secondly, uh, it's important to include severe and strict uh, obligation informing uh, of any uh, possible uh, submission of any insolvency uh, process. Uh, this uh, becomes especially important when uh, this is tied with the obligation of the parent company or other affiliate or shareholders to pay an indemnity in the case of not uh, providing this information about a possible uh, insolvency uh, proceeding, especially, and the reason of this uh, clause is based on the, on, the, on the case that if this is not done, then the creditor could lose the possibility to uh, communicate on time. The, the credits, so uh, he can lose uh, rank or he can have negative effects uh, in the uh, insolvency uh, proceedings. Also, so sorry for sorry for interrupting that. So 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 what you are saying here is that basically, 
uh, you know, a, a couple of minutes ago, I just addressed a risk that is supposed to be mitigated by actually hiring someone locally to be aware of insolvency courts. And you're saying, in addition to that, make sure that you include a provision in the contract, you know, saying yep. that the, the debtor needs to tell you whenever they and they, they enter in an insolvency they, process yeah. and Sorry. it is useful to have an indemnity provision from for instance shareholders in case the debtor does not comply with it that's very interesting thank exactly. you so much yeah it's, it's something that uh, can be included and it could be uh, uh, an extra uh, help for the for for the creator also uh, i mean any provision in the contract about uh, that provides a seniority credit uh, that uh, will um, 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 includes a special um, a subordination provision in the contract. Uh, this is something that uh, is not, uh, I mean, is something that uh, can be included also uh, in the contract. And uh, it is important to, in the case that uh, the, the debtor will not enter into insolvency, that the contract includes some reps and warranties in, in, in this case, because if not, uh, uh, I mean, uh, in, in order that uh, uh, we we are uh, does not foresee any any insolvency process in that. So basically, uh, these are the main uh, points. Thank you so much. So, uh, Michelle, would you would you like to to add something to to this question specifically addressed to contractual provisions that I know Nacho started in the first part, like talking about both things. Do you like to add something to it? Yes, thank you, Daniel. Three things. First of all, we always need to think on the worst case scenario. And insolvency is a complicated situation for the, for any company. And usually clients are more worried when they draft a contract on how the goods are going to be delivered or how are going to they are going to get paid. So certain provisions of the contract are just left a very lightly uh, drafted no and i think one one of the most important provisions in the contract is what are the consequences when the company or your buyer enters into an insolvency process and that provision is not uh, a template you need to draft it according to what the seller wants so maybe the seller's interest is more in continuing with the contract and not terminating the contract or maybe you need to have some penalty or fine or compensation that could increase your seller's claim thinking on a future insolvency process. So that provision is very important and is drafted in a case-by-case -case, um, scenario. The, the second thing, and Natural already mentioned it, is regarding the uh, convey, fraudulence conveyance provisions, clawbacks, preferences, or avoidance statutes, that you need to be aware of those depending on the jurisdiction you're dealing with. Because if you don't take into consideration those provisions and your contract maybe meets the requirements for avoidance, you will have a problem if an insolvency is triggered. And the third thing is beware if you're a related party to the buyer. If you're an affiliated company, if you're the general manager or you're a shareholder and you're dealing with a buyer because those situations could complicate the contract and could be challenged at certain point, if you're not, you have not entered the contract in commercial and standard or commercial terms and regular terms in the ordinary course of business. I, I, I Michelle, just, just, just one question. Would it be reasonable uh, in, in, in uh, your jurisdiction and this varies substantially from, from one place to, a, to another to include an acceleration provision. So let's say I may include a, a, a provision in the contract saying, if you as the buyer and debtor enter into mm -hmm. an insolvency provision, there, this my debt is going to be accelerated? That's a very good question. And you know, it depends on each case because if you're, you want to, for example, take the lead in an insolvency process and you know that you will be a majority creditor if you accelerate that, uh, that claim, of course, you you could have a very important position in the process afterwards. But if you're a minority creator and your interest is just continue with the contract, maybe it's not the best way to do it. And maybe you just want to have a contract that is accrued monthly, and you could have a contract that is still on as on business once the insolvency process is triggered. So it, it depends really. 
Okay, and then just in case it 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 it, it helps from our perspective, it is you know any acceleration clause, termination clause, anything that changes the original provisions of the commercial contract, it is very difficult to modify. And typically speaking, acceleration clauses are not admitted or very difficult to enforce without the court's authorization. So thank you so much, Charlotte. We are looking forward to hearing your comments on this. Any thoughts? Sure, thank you so much. So from a German law perspective, it would be relevant whether the seller would have a right or a security right. So it would be best to include any security in favor of the seller in order to have him a preferential position in an insolvency proceedings. So if we can in, in any, uh, let's say, uh, frame or fashion uh, could strengthen the position um, of the seller, it would be best to do it through a secu security because under German law, you would have then a preferential claim. Otherwise, you would just be lost with the pro rata payment. Uh, so you would only receive, a, let's say, in most cases, a very low uh, payment from the insolvency estate of, of the buyer. So that would be the most um, relevant thing beyond the uh, the items already touched by Nacho and Michelle, which I can just confirm for, for Germany. Um, the second aspect would be to say, if you are the supplier, you might enter into or let's say agree on a clause, on a so-called processing clause, uh, whereby this, the, the supplier would um, remain um, the owner of the goods. So if I remain as the owner, then I would have a preferential right in the, secu in the insolvency proceedings of the buyer as well and would strengthen, of course, my position as the seller. Yeah, eh, eh, Charlotte, I, I, I have a couple of questions that, that I would love to, to, to be able to, to answer to some of my clients. Let's say a, a Latam company eh, wants to export, you know, sell goods to a German company. And would it be reasonable, you know, speaking about market practices, let, let's say, because, you know, sometimes you, you think about these this structures and plan ahead and, you know, commercially speaking, that does not work. So would it be reasonable to ask, a commercial buyer that is buying, you know, five million euros a month of of, of goods from a Latam company, uh, you know, it, may that be oil, mining, flowers, whatever that is, to actually have a security. First question. Second, if that is how easy is to have that security, do you need to register it to 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 have a, a right? And third, uh, would it be reasonable to actually uh, ask for a for a collection document, like a promissory note, or which would that be, the, the right document would be if I'm going to ask that to a German company? Yeah, thank you so much. So that's a good point. So it depends on the good, right? So if you talk about, for example, mining um, or oil or, or um, things like that, then a promissory note would be very, very helpful. So it really depends on the specific good because you do need a valid security, right? Um, which would be, let's say, be honored under uh, the respective jurisdiction. So as Nacho alluded to earlier, um, so if we know where our buyer has its economy, so its main, uh, main center of main interest, then we might anticipate um, which law applies in an insolvency proceeding, right? And then we need to look into the specific um, regulation of law to see, okay, which uh, security right works best. So it really depends on the specific uh, good. Okay, no, no, thank you. That That's very useful. So, uh, uh, let me move, let us move to our next question that, that, that was really useful, uh, Charlotte. And uh, our third question is, is uh, addressed uh, uh, to you, Charlotte, again. And, uh, you know, are there any practical advices you would like to share with us in case a, a seller, uh, let's say a Latam seller, has to deal with a European buyer that is undergoing an insolvency process? with creditors in different European jurisdictions. Um, you know, the, the question is basically because uh, uh, when, when you are not part of the European uh, 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 Union, 
it, there is always the question that may seem easy uh, from that perspective that you know there's a a huge you know an entire regulation that is you know part partly is by countries parties for everyone how to deal with that Charlotte? Yeah, so first, as you um, alluded to earlier, Daniel, we need to closely monitor the proceedings, right, to understand in which kind of proceedings the buyer is currently undergoing. So um, we do have in Germany the self-possession proceedings, which means that uh, essentially the buyer stays as the debtor and as the decision maker. Uh, so there's no administrator at this stage. There's only a supervising um, officer. So the officer is supervising the debtor, so I need to deal with the debtor, right, with the persons I know from, from my relationship. So that's a that's a that's an advantage. So if I know that there's a self-administration proceedings where the debtor stays or remains responsible, then it's helpful for me to know just from a practical perspective. Because if we don't have a self-administration proceedings, we do have a regular insolvency proceedings, we need to deal with an administrator, right? So that's really a third person appoint, uh, having been appointed by the court and not known to us from our business relationship. So we do need to contact the administrator and etc. to, uh, let's say, agree on any steps um, to solve or to collapse our relationship. So we need to closely monitor and understand the proceedings um, the buyers undergoing is ongoing in, in, in Germany. Um, so that was would be my first point. Secondly, we don't have a bar date for any claims. Um, so that's different in other jurisdictions. So if you do have claims, you can file those claims later on, even if any uh, uh, dates uh, have been passed. So that's a good thing from the seller's perspective because I'm then not precluded from making any claims. But of course, I need to monitor because if there's some insolvency stage available, so any cash is available, then I do need to be quick in order to um, realize my claim. Because if the cash has been distributed to creditors, which have timely filed their claims, and I'm I, I, I'm, I'm too late with my claim as a seller, then um, I won't have any chance to participate in, in the cash available. So we do need to be very, let's say, quick very um, yeah let's say the role in, in monitoring the proceedings that would be the first point the second point would be um, that we, we should try to enforce our right um, that's a bit difficult because enforcement is let's say state so I cannot enforce my right if there's an insolvency proceedings I need to wait um, until all the estate has been let's say uh, the cash has been collected in favor of all the creditors etc but if I do have a security right which we alluded to earlier then I would have have a preferential right. So then I don't need to wait um, until the quota um, has been paid out to me, the very low quota uh, in most of the cases. So I would, would be, be a preferred creditor. So I do need to contact the administrator very early at an early stage um, to claim that I do have a security right which is valid under the applicable law and I would like to let's say urge that my security right will be performed in a very quick and efficient way. So I need to make a bit pressure on the administrator, let's say it that way, or if we are in a self-administration proceeding on the debtor, so the responsible managing director, um, to enforce my right. Um, from a practical perspective, I do need to, let's say, call the administrator three times a week and you need to um, document anything in written form. Otherwise, the administrator would be reluctant, as we know the administrators, in order to, let's say, turn to my right because the administrator is focused on other things to, let's say, maximize the insolvency estate. Um, so I do need practical advice um, how to deal with the administrator. Right. If I don't have a business relationship because the managing director has been replaced by the administrator technically. Well, that's 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 fascinating. And, and let me, if I may, ask a, a Michelle, a, a Nacho. You know, there's there's a, always the issue a, that Charlotte a, brought to the table, which is whether or not there is a self-administration proceeding, and that that changes dramatically. Uh, the process, the dynamics of the process, the way you communicate with your counterparty, because at the end, 
this is a business relationship and you want to talk with the same person that you were dealing with and and then a, a so how a, and let me sorry for this but let me start by saying that that in colombia a, for instance uh, the, the, the general rule is the self-administration. And uh, uh, whenever the debtor starts uh, an insolvency proceeding, uh, the debtor keeps the administration of the business. And actually, there's always a, a supervision by the insolvency court. And there's a trustee appointed by the court for purposes of actually, you know, as, assessing who the creditors are, what the value of the creditor, what the goods uh, and assets of the company are. How does it work in Peru, Michelle? Thanks, Daniel. Depending on the type of process, if you are in the ordinary, typical um, insolvency process, you could keep the debtor in possession or you could change the administration or you can have a mixture of both. And you have certain entities that are registered before the competent authority that you could choose and you could uh, appoint them as administrators dur during the process. Okay, thank you. Uh, Nacho, anything to add here? Well, here in Spain, basically the general rule is that the uh, the ordinary rule is that uh, you have the self-administration self, uh, until the liquidation of the company. Then it's challenged uh, the, the for uh, with the insolvency uh, trustee uh, this appointed by the court. But in the cases that the insolvency started because a creditor asked for the insolvency then the general rule is that the administrator of the company uh, is dismissed <laughs> and then uh, uh, um, is uh, the, the, the administration of the company is uh, handled by the uh, administrator appointed uh, by the court well, that's that's very interesting. It seems like there is like a mistrust. If you don't come to us and start a, a insolvency, a, we assume that you're not doing a good job, and we need to to address someone. If you come to us and start an insolvency process, we'll keep you in the job. And a, one of the things that that I was thinking about is is how the you know, enforcement rights a, a, you know are stayed. As I'm I'm just quoting a, a Charlotte here and. A, Typically speaking, in in countries that that adopted a, a kind of a French continental law, securities give creditors a something that is, that is, in my opinion, basically speaking, a better you know different lines of creditors. So basically, what happens is that if you are a first class creditor, you can be in the first line and you know to collect first, then. If you are second, uh, because you have, a, for instance, a security over over a movable of assets, you go to a second line. If you have a security over a real estate, you go to a third line, then you move. But at the end, uh, typically speaking, uh, uh, under the you know traditional rule, is not that you can actually enforce your security. It's actually the insolvency process are deemed to protect debtors and stay any action against the debtors. And what you know it, it gives you some rights and gives you the, the right to whenever you know the court is assessing who to pay first, you are paid first we're going to pay everyone in the first line, second then go and move and pay second line and third line. So when you talk about uh, enforcement rights over securities, uh, uh, at least from 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 the perspective of many contracts in insolvency, having a, a security gives you the right to be in a better line, not necessarily to enforce your securities. Uh, one of the big changes that we are undergoing in many countries uh, in Latin America uh, is that uh, we are adopting a different rule that is based uh, mainly on Article 9 of the UCC, of the Uniform Commercial Code uh, in the different states of the US. And what basically changed dramatically in these countries, and actually, um, I remember uh, 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 you know, these in-person big events that we had when Peru adopted the, the, the new securities law of removable assets, uh, and uh, we did it with Colombia and Peru. And, Basically, the, the new rule is that if you have a security, it not only gives you a better line, but it actually allows you to enforce your security over such, you know, those goods, even after the start of the insolvency process. So uh, when when you say, uh, uh, Charlotte, you mentioned 
that uh, uh, your enforcement rights are stayed, but if you have a security, you can enforce your rights against that security. Uh, what exactly did you mean? I, I, I got a little bit lost and, and I would like Michelle also to add something if possible from her perspective after Charlotte. Sure, thank you so much. Um, so it really means that uh, the security could be enforced, could actually be enforced. So by a liquidation or collapse of the good, um, so the good needs to be um, liquidated and um, the um, proceeds which have been realized from, from such liquidation would be distributed to the um, holder of the security, to, so to our seller. Right. Um, so it's really a collection of, of cash at the end. Excellent. So that's exactly the way it works and now with, with some tweaks under some uh, LATAM countries where we adopted a uh, securities law under UCC. Uh, uh, Michelle, please. Yes, it works a little bit different in Peru. If you have, are in a liquidation proceeding, for example, the liquidated entity will foreclose or will sell the assets. And if you have a, a security, you could be paid with the proceeds of that sale, unless there are labor creators still left to be paid because they have super, super priority according to our constitution. So always labor claims will be paid first, even though you have a security, yeah. And, and and if the case is not that you're not undergoing a liquidation process, but rather mm -hmm. uh, you know restructuring or a, a, you know yeah a, a restructuring mm -hmm. process, restructuring. what would the rule be? Yes, you cannot uh, foreclose your collateral, your security. Everything is stayed, so you'll have to wait until the plan of reorganization is approved, and there you will have your terms and conditions set up in the in the plan. It will depend on, on your bargaining power. Reformer <laughs> rule in Colombia, now we divide our assets and that's important for any, you know, we have clients that did not plan ahead actually. And, and this is, it was so easy to plan ahead and the courts divide our, the, the debtors goods between necessary goods and non-necessary goods. Mm -hmm. Depending on that, you have different, but at the end you can collect Nacho. Any rules in, uh, you would like to mention in Spain? Well, in Spain, basically, if you have a security, you are allowed to execute the security and to recover the money from the, the from this specific asset. Uh, you you have full priority uh, to recover from this specific asset. Uh, the point is that sometimes you have to wait for the enforcement or the foreclosure of the specific asset uh, for one year. That's the point, okay. uh, generally speaking. Thank you so much. Yes, so and we're talking let's about move. Debtor, debtor's please? assets, no, Daniel? We're talking about debtor's yes. assets because, of course, if someone else is, is giving the security or the guarantee, and you, of course, can can collect from, from that third party, just to make it clear. Of course. That's that's a very good point. Yeah. No, thank you so much for, for, for making that clear because that's we are talking about debtors asset. That's right. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, and uh, excellent. And you know, and uh, perhaps to, to end this a uh, uh, point, I would say that uh, typically speaking, uh, there is a whole range of securities. Some of them are better than others, uh, depending on the country. Trust security structures in some countries uh, in latam for instance are very useful to uh, are mm -hmm. actually what we would call insolvency free whenever the yes. the the you know the the large sellers and exporters come to us and tell us i want an insolvency free guarantee or security of course there's always the the the, the option to go to a third party that is not part of the debtor to give the security but they, there are some securities that are better than others uh, yeah. And uh, let me ask, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, and I would like, you know, ask if, if, if all of you can 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 comment on this. But uh, uh, let's, Michelle, let's imagine that we are advising a strategic creditor who has an mm -hmm. important claim against an international holding company, and that the holding company uh, and several of its affiliates are in in crisis and have called you. Mm -hmm. stating that they will need to request relief in an insolvency proceeding. Actually, we had that case recently 
okay? And we yeah. discussed about it in a large insolvency that, that we know of. Yes. And they do not know what to do as they have assets all over the world. And, you know, they request you, your advice as they consider that you are a partner to, you know, to their business. What would you recommend them? Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Yes, if you're a key or strategic trader, you not only worry about how you're going to collect your claim or, or how to enforce the provisions of the contract, you're really worried about the business of your counterparty. And you need to make sure that the business is still ongoing and that your buyer will be in good shape because you're more more a partner than a creditor so that's the that's the the case what would i recommend um as a key creditor the first thing that i will have five things i will recommend on the onset so first uh you need to make sure that you preserve the value of the assets as quickly as possible so you need to make sure that your debtor it really has a good strategy to preserve the assets and you're talking about the global company so this debtor has business units around the world so you need to make sure that all those businesses will be kept ongoing you no know, during the process so that's the first thing and you need to make sure to that your debtor understands which companies will go into an insolvency process and which entities will stay out of the process you have to divide that universe and that whole corporate structure needs to be very clear for your debtor. The second thing is that uh, you need to gather information as quickly as possible. So you need to make sure that that debtor, the buyer, has key creators really identified, the opposing creators too, what are the main contracts, if they have collection actions, make sure you know what which collection actions are already in place, what are the sources of financing, for example, you need to make sure about that immediately and how the cash flow is moving around the corporate structure. So that way you will know where is the cash located and which entity has the cash. So you need to then define if that entity will enter or not into an insolvency process and how will that impact the whole global cross-border insolvency. Then you need your debtor, your partner to appoint a leading person, a key person that will prepare the the plan of organization that will contact the key creators and that will make sure that your plan will be approved at the end. No. Fourth thing, you need to determine which jurisdiction will be the one starting the proceeding, the main insolvency proceeding. Usually it's the center of main interest, but not in all cases. So for example, uh, now we know that chapter 11, the organization process in the US is being used as the main insolvency proceeding in order for these big groups of companies to enter into a reorganization process. And we have the airlines in, in, in Latin America, we have Avianca, we have Latam, and other companies that are entering as a group to a Chapter 11. Also, you have the UK schemes or the Singaporean schemes. You have other structures that could be used to have a, a really interesting cross-border case. So you need to determine where we're going to start. You know? And the last thing is, that uh, once you determine the main insolvency proceeding, you need to make sure that the automatic stay or the suspension of collection of claims is imposed immediately. And that's a huge challenge because, for example, in the US, it will the automatic stay will be triggered as soon as you file a petition. But maybe if you also file a Colombian company in a Chapter 11, you will need a recognition process in Colombia in order for that automatic stay to be applicable. So that is one of the main challenges in the process and you need to make sure that your debtor knows how to deal with all that complicated scenery. So that's from yeah, my no, side, I don't you. know if you want to comment. Thank you. No, no, thank you so much. That That's really interesting. I, I, I believe that that coordinating those efforts between US law firms and, and you know, the, the LATAM jurisdictions and European countries, you know, that some of the main creditors are based in, in Europe needless to say in the airline uh, in your space uh, uh, media and I, I know we cannot talk much about that but 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 you know there, there's always a, a big challenge a uh, uh, charlotte and nacho any comments on that nothing to add from my side nothing okay so so one le, le, let me let me perhaps add something uh, uh, to 
to to Charlotte and and, and, and Michelle because they they mentioned it uh, uh, when perhaps Michelle why would be uh, relevant uh, uh, to assess in the part of the, the establishing the jurisdiction when you're planning ahead and uh, and you know thinking about uh, uh, the future whether the jurisdiction that you're choosing has a cross-border insolvency perhaps a, a, a simpler question mm -hmm. which is why would any country adopt a cross-border insolvency regulation because we do have it mm -hmm. but i know that that peru doesn't so why would that yeah. be relevant it's very relevant because well you you adopted the unstral insolvency model law and we have not hopefully we will and that that will help for example uh, uh, if you start a process say in the us or in europe and you want to enforce the automatic stay in colombia you have a proceeding due to uncitral to request the recognition of that uh, decision or foreign decision in colombia and you can adopt actions injunctions or precautionary measures to prevent the assets from being foreclosed or or impair, impair the value of the assets. And we do not have that. We have to manage other strategies in order to be able to, to protect the assets locally. So, so and then perhaps to, to Charlotte, who mentioned, let's say, you know, I have a debtor uh, who's in trouble and starts uh, an insolvency process in Germany. And let's say that 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 same debtor or 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 or, or buyer actually has significant substantial assets not only in germany but they have assets in france in spain and you know all over europe or even in the us or in in latin uh, just by starting the process in germany uh, would that uh, actually uh, i mean would in the face of that proceeding can i start a collection process to foreclose assets that are located in other jurisdictions other than Germany? Yeah, that's that's a challenge because um, you do need to, let's say, overcome the hurdles, right? Because you do need to, first, the data needs to collect the assets um, from the different jurisdictions, right? So he needs to um, go to the US or other jurisdictions to collect the assets. And then if the assets have been collected then those assets would be let's say liquidated if they are non-cash assets and then um, as we said earlier the the realized proceeds would be distributed to the creditors on a prorater basis so only if i i'm the secured creditor and um the good which my security relates to would would be located in the us then i would um, need to agree with the debtor or the administrator that he collects the asset from the other jurisdiction and then to start with me the collection or liquidation process but otherwise i'm really um, not entitled to let's say interfere with the liquidation procedures as they relate to other jurisdictions because the debtor is in charge or the administrator Okay, excellent. Yeah, and and the question is, in my experience, there's always a, a, a tension when, for instance, there is a, a creditor that says, you know, finds an asset elsewhere and says, I'm going to go after it and collect. And there's always the the challenge that the 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 the, the buyer, the the debtor that is undergoing insolvency says, sorry, but you know, I started insolvency in New York, in the Southern District of New York, or I started, so you cannot collect because the insolvency process states any, and there's always, you know, the 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 the, the creator saying, I'm sorry, but I, I do not really care about your insolvency process in New York or elsewhere. This asset is based in Peru or Colombia, and you owe me money, so I'm going to collect on that asset. And so I, I believe that, that we can do an entire webinar on actually cross-border insolvency and why that's useful because we have lived it, you know, in, in real life cases where it makes a huge difference of whether or not the jurisdiction has an insolvency, a, a, a cross-border insolvency. It may be under the UNCI trial or, you know, where, but, you know, we have a, a, a couple of questions here. And, you know, one of the questions is, a what challenges and opportunities do you panelists uh, is foresee for growth uh, 
uh, that you know present themselves over the coming 12 to 24 months. So Nacho, let's start with you. Uh, you know, they say that in every crisis there are opportunities. Well, uh, this morning uh, there was a, uh, on the newspapers an article regarding that uh, the commercial courts in Spain will become collapsed at the beginning of next year due to the to the insolvency proceedings that are coming due to the, the pandemic crisis. Uh, these kind of news are constantly in, in, in newspapers and is uh, talking about that all all lawyers that we we are involved in insolvency. I mean, I think that uh, probably from the the end of this year and in, during the following couple of years, probably we will have uh, a big growth uh, of uh, cases uh, regarding insolvency. I think it will become important to have a good uh, uh, group of uh, legal advice in different countries because uh, we are uh, having um, it's time more and more uh, queries regarding insolvencies, uh, uh, regarding companies located in different countries. So I expect uh, these kind of uh, matters will uh, have an important uh, growth in, 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 the, in the near future. Sure. Thank you so much. Charlotte. Yes, so from uh, from our perspective, we would also see more insolvencies now coming um, following the, the pandemic or let's say the crisis. And of course, uh, there are more industries uh, which are affected, such as also banks or, as, or, or credit institutions and other industries. So, of course, there would be more insolvencies um, to see. And I do think there are more insolvencies with, uh, with a cross-border background, as we just alluded to. Um, so we need, do need to be aware of the different jurisdictions and the specific challenges related thereto. Yeah, th thanks so much. Let, let me add some spice to, to the question, uh, Michelle, and, and to all. You know, we, we are seeing lots of distressed assets, uh, M&A's uh, uh, opportunities. We, we are seeing, you know, of course, now we have lots of companies in crisis and just a fewer players market that have you know the resources to to buy these assets but we are seeing now you know for the last couple of months lots of of, of deals that are starting off of great companies amazing assets beautiful assets that just you know one day they were selling like crazy and well, the other day they went to zero sales so it, one of the things that we are saying uh, uh, seeing is that there, there are new insolvency re regulations in many countries actually for distress assets Needless to say, new regulations for insolvency rules that we, no one anticipated this crisis. That is very typical. And uh, in those uh, claims, we have seen just in one case that we are working on now that all creditors, you know, with 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 uh, credits be, uh, below something like one million uh, euros, what we call small claims, they are in the best position ever because the buyers are buying these companies and they want to get rid of them and the insolvency mm -hmm. rules allow them allow the the, the buyer and the, the the company to actually without actually the court's permission to pay them off and you know get rid of uh, 50 creditors that they don't add anything to the process and deal with the large creditors is there anything regarding small claims insolvency processes or a distressed assets m a now that you're seeing well, I'll, I will answer your question, if that's fine. Uh, yes, we, we don't have a specific regulation for distress M&A, but we have seen several cases in, in the past and, and we'll see them in the future for sure. And what usually the buyers do, the buyers of the company, is purchase claims at a discount rate. Those claims, the, the, majority, the minority claims, so they can have a majority position in the process and able to take over the company. No, so that's how it works in Peru. Regarding the sale of assets, it's a little bit different. So in a global insolvency, it's very important to know in which jurisdiction you're going to sell the assets because some jurisdictions as the US allow the sale of assets, non-core or core, depending 
depending on, on the company, but and, and in Peru, you have certain restrictions. So you need to make sure where you're going to file if you want to sell the assets or your key, uh, or you, if you're a key strategic creator, where is your debtor going to sell? And if you're a buyer, where are you going to file? So yes, the jurisdiction is important. You know, very, very useful, Michelle. Thank you so much. And Charlotte, uh, uh, and we have just 40 seconds and uh, uh, anything to add regarding you know, to this question regarding distressed assets M&A uh, in insolvency courts that you can add or want to share? Yeah, just uh, very quickly. So I do think the interest is now um, becomes more relevant because um, some entities have, let's say, stayed their investments uh, because of the crisis and now the crisis uh, or the it would be a bit better. So they are now going to invest, right? Invest, right? So the distressed um, asset situations uh, would rise as well um, because there's there's more interest mm -hmm. now, uh, which we can see on the market. Nacho, any comment? Yeah, uh, yeah only just to add to one thing. Uh, I um, uh, from from the Spanish perspective, uh, if this uh, kind of uh, deals will be uh, now increased indeed and we have challenged the law just a few days ago on the 1st of September and uh, the new regulation about the acquisition of uh, production units from insolvency companies uh, will be or we consider that will be indeed uh, a new uh, business deal and we will see great opportunities in the near future. Well, the, very interesting to know. I had no idea. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank you, everyone. We are right on time at 9 a.m. And thank you, you know, to uh, my amazing co-panelists. I, you know, I, I was de delighted to hear you. And as boring as I may sound, uh, I would spend the rest of the day <laughs> talking to you about these things. And uh, <laughs> it, it is, and uh, I don't know, we have, uh, uh, I'm seeing here that we, so we have other CMS dispute talk. Uh, uh, the 30th of September on investment arbitration and third-party funding on the 14th of October on potential exposure of D and O uh, to liability claims following the COVID-19 emergency, the 28th on real property commercial lease and COVID-19. I'm going to register for all of, all of those. So thank you, thank everyone. You, Have a great afternoon in beautiful Europe and good day in Peru. Thank you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.